Luke chapter 24, please. Take your Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and we'll be in verse number 1. If you're visiting and didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, there is one in the seat in front of you, the black book there. Same version I'm reading from the New King James. Luke 24, verse number 1, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, to behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Friday evening, a few of us gather here to remember Good Friday and to remember the cross upon which Jesus died. It is a somber service, and it is a somber service by design, and I, I think, therefore, it turns some folks off by that very uh, soberness. But then it was a somber day, wasn't it? As a matter of fact, it was the worst and darkest day in the history of mankind. But as the song says, then came the morning, and night turned into day, and the stone was rolled away, and hope rose with the dawn. He is risen. Amen? He is risen indeed. No matter how sad the reality of the cross, the reality of the empty tomb washes it away. It ought to fill even the weakest of believers with hope, with joy, and with thankfulness. I read a quote this week from a source that I thought I would never quote from. I've never quoted a pope before, but I'm, I'm going to do it now. I probably will never do it again. But Pope John Paul II said this, and he nailed it. He said, do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. Amen. He is risen. I saw a meme on Facebook yesterday. The graphic was a depiction of Calvary with the three crosses and the darkness and the shadows and the night and the, and, and the obvious despair. The caption read, yeah, but Sunday is coming. He is risen. Hallelujah. What a story. I never get tired of thinking about the story of Easter, do you? And one of the things I enjoy doing, and I guess it's because I'm, I'm kind of weird, but one of the things I enjoy doing is imagining what it would have been like. If you'd actually been one of the privileged few to have been there, imagine. How would I have reacted? What would I have felt? And what would that first gathering of the disciples have been like when they heard the news that the grave was empty? The Bible shares some glimpses of it. It gives us quite a, quite a bit. Matthew tells us of the reaction that the guards had. You remember the guards who were standing around and they watched the whole thing? It says that they shook for fear and became like dead men. Matthew also tells us of the intense mixture of emotions that the women felt who went to the tomb. It says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. 
fear, joy. Those women experienced another feeling, worship, awe. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Mark adds that they were alarmed. Alarmed. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed, Mark chapter 16. Some other translations say, amazed or shocked. Mark continues describing the intensity of the emotions that they felt. They went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. He also mentions the fact that many couldn't get their words around what had happened at first, or their minds, rather. They frankly didn't believe it. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Mark 16, 11. John tells us that Mary's first reaction was extreme sadness, for she didn't understand at first what had happened. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. John chapter 20. And John also lets us in on the reaction of the group when, when, when Jesus appeared to them all together. John 20, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I always think that's one of the greatest understatements, perhaps, in our Bible. And John also tells us the reaction of Thomas. First, resolute incredulity and disbelief. And then when he saw Jesus, belief and faith and worship. But let's think about Luke. Luke is where we read this morning. Luke uses a great word. He uses a great word to describe the initial reaction of the women when they discovered that the tomb was empty. They were perplexed, verse number 4 says. I like that word. And he also uses a wonderful word to describe Peter's initial reaction. Notice verse number 12. Uh, Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened marveling. I wonder, when was the last time you marveled, marveled at what happened on Resurrection Sunday? There was a line in the cantata that we just sang a minute ago. The line said, God forbid, this all becomes familiar. That line has haunted me for weeks as we have practiced and practiced and practiced, as we've listened to those songs in our cars, as we practiced at home. God forbid this all becomes familiar. And I think the reason it's bothered me so is because it is so sadly true in so many lives. So many of us hear the story of the empty tomb and frankly yawn. So many of us can recite the details mentally, but emotionally, <laughs> there's no impact. Fear, joy, worship, alarm, amazement, incredulity, disbelief, sorrow, perplexity, wonder. Those were the intense emotions that took place that first Easter Sunday. Some believed and fell down in worship. Some marveled. There was one thing they all had in common. None of them were ambivalent. None of them were without emotion. All were intensely impacted by what they saw. God forbid this all becomes familiar. I think what we ought to do right now is stop and pray and just ask God to really help us today that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to the reality of the fact that tomb was, was empty. It's not just something that we mentally assent to. It ought to just stir our hearts. And so let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the empty tomb. And I do pray that right now. Lord, as we proceed through this message and look at the word and, and make a couple of quick points. Lord, will you open our hearts to it? 
Will you help us to see it, believe it, understand it? And most of all, Lord, will you stir our emotions to it? Lord, may we be perplexed. May we be amazed. May we be in awe. May we marvel as Peter did. Forgive us, Father, if this has become familiar. And help it to not be so today, we pray. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, he is alive. He is risen. He is risen. I want to speak this morning on, this, on, on a tale of two graves. A tale of two graves. On Palm Sunday, we considered a tale of two kings. On Good Friday, we talked about a tale of two crosses. Now I want to talk about a tale of two graves. The first grave is the empty grave. The empty grave. I saw an article this past week in the, in the UK Independent online. And the article was entitled, uh, What Believing in God Does to Your Brain. And here's the first little bit of that article. Quote, humans suppress areas of the brain used for analytical thinking and engage the parts responsible for empathy in order to believe in God, research suggests. They do the opposite when thinking about the physical world, according to the study. When there's a question of faith from the analytic point of view, it may seem absurd, said Professor Tony Jack, who led the research. But from what we understand about the brain... The leap of faith to belief in the supernatural amounts to pushing aside the critical analytical way of thinking to help us achieve greater social and emotional insight. End quote. I find that fascinating. You see, there is absolutely no doubt that some people, the reason some people will never see heaven is because they think they need to be able to explain everything about the universe scientifically before they will believe it. And the fact is you cannot explain God. Scientifically, you cannot explain how belief in a believing Savior dying on a cross can save you from your sin scientifically. And you can't explain the empty tomb scientifically. There are times when we just need to accept what God has said. And there are times when faith, not reason, is the answer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually hope and happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in, in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. When it comes right down to it, the only way you'll ever go from incredulity and perplexity and disbelief Concerning the empty grave is faith. But the article in The Independent implies that rational thought and faith are completely incompatible. That belief in the Bible and God requires one to, quote, suppress areas of the brain used for analytical thinking, end quote. And the implication is you've got to turn off your brain in order to believe. You've got to turn off your brain in order to accept the realities of the empty tomb uh, that we're considering today. But my friend, that's simply not true. You don't have to park your brain at the foot of the cross. That's not true whatsoever. The evidence for the claims of Christ and for the empty tomb of Easter are, is just quite simply overwhelming. I, I don't think there's a, a fact of history that is more heavily attested to than that. The most brilliant minds that have ever lived are not the rejecters of the empty tomb, but rather those who have accepted it. Men like Frank Morris, I've mentioned him to you before. He wrote a wonderful little book called Who Moved the Stone? And I looked for that before my Easter preparations today, and I couldn't find it, so I must have loaned it to one of you. So whoever has my Who Moved the Stone book, give it back. But 
Frank Morris. Or Josh McDowell, who was, who was an unbelieving researcher, a, a brilliant, uh, a, a brilliant PhD, uh, uh, possessor who, who decided one day to turn his attention to the resurrection of Christ and to research it and to disprove it and to with, with that disprove all of Christianity. Or then there was journalist Lee Strobel, who was a renowned journalist. One day he set out to prove it wasn't true. All of these men. All of them and multitudes like them have tried with all their might, all their intellect, all their reason, all their effort to disprove the realities of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And they've tried to do it with rationality. And every one of them had to admit, after they looked at the evidence, that it must be true. Faith played a part. There's no question. Faith plays a major role, but they didn't have to abandon reason either. If I could bring Frank Morrison before you today and ask him what his hours and hours of historical research proved to him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he would no doubt say, it's true. The evidence shows that it's true. All the historical evidence of the ages points to it. The stone was rolled away that day. The gospel accounts are historically and demonstrably accurate. The grave was empty. The the body of Jesus Christ did rise on Easter Sunday morning. The evidence shows it. That's what he'd say. Or if Josh McDowell were our speaker today, he would tell you that all his efforts to disprove Christianity with reason and research only confirmed it. And Josh McDowell is a believer today with Campus Crusade for Christ. Lee Strobel had this to say about his personal journey. Just let me read a little bit, a little paragraph from his book. He said, for much of my life, I was a skeptic. In fact, I considered myself an atheist. To me, there was far too much evidence that God was merely a product of wishful thinking, of ancient mythology, of primitive superstition. How could there be a loving God if he consigned people to hell just for not believing in him? How could miracles contravene the basic laws of nature? Didn't evolution satisfactorily explain how life originated? Doesn't scientific reasoning dispel belief in the supernatural? As for Jesus, didn't you know that he never claimed to be God? He was a revolutionary, a sage, an iconoclastic Jew, but God? No, that thought never occurred to him. I could point you to plenty of university professors who said so, and certainly they could be trusted, couldn't they? Let's face it. Even a cursory examination of the evidence demonstrates convincingly that Jesus had only been a human being just like you and me, although with unusual gifts of kindness and wisdom. But that's all I had ever really given the evidence. A cursory look. End quote. And if I could get Lee Strobel here today and ask him to share with you the results of the hours and hours of interviews he conducted with experts in science and history and religion and Judaism and archaeology and every other type of of discipline, you know what conclusion he would provide? It's the conclusion he provides in his book. The tomb was empty on Resurrection Sunday. And it was empty because Jesus rose again. Strobel's genuine efforts to use reason, to use, uh, to use uh, study and, and examination of evidence to dispel Christianity and the empty tomb only resulted in the opposite. He became a believer based on the evidence and has been mightily used by God ever since. So I say all that hopefully to get you to understand that while belief in the empty tomb is primarily a matter of faith, it's also a perfectly reasonable belief, the most reasonable belief. To accept and believe the evidence is incontrovertible. So listen this morning as I tell you about that first grave in our tale of two graves, that empty grave. When the women visited the tomb early on that first Sunday, it was empty and it still is. Despite two millennia of time having passed, despite thousands of skeptics seeking to demonstrate otherwise, the tomb was and is empty. 
And Jesus rose bodily from the dead after lying in that grave for three days. Unbelievable? Yes. Amazing? Absolutely. Supernatural? Certainly. Hard to explain? Scientifically, yes. But true. True. It was the theme of all the apostles' preaching. Peter preached it. Acts chapter 2, Him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Acts chapter 3, You denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Acts chapter 10, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised on the third day and showed showed him openly. Paul preached at Acts chapter 17, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. All the apostles preached it. It was the theme of their preaching. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Jesus rose bodily from the grave after lying in it for three days. There's nothing more boldly proclaimed in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the first grave I wanted us to think about this morning is that one, the empty grave. And you might ask, okay, that's cool, but does it really matter? Does it really matter to me personally that the grave was empty? Does the resurrection really make any difference? If it, if it happened, okay. And I would answer that absolutely nothing matters more. Gaither said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. It matters. And it matters for an even more fundamental reason. You see, that grave where Jesus lay for three days and from which he stepped victorious and laughing at death, alive, that grave is the doorway to heaven. It's the doorway to heaven. You know, the Bible gives us a lot of help in knowing what we must believe and what we must accept if we would be saved. Acts chapter 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Lots of verses like that. But there's one very particularly relevant verse to us this morning. And that's in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, this is important. Belief in that empty grave is the doorway to heaven. The only way to accept Christ is to accept all of him in all his glorious supernatural wonder. You cannot love only his teachings and be saved. Emulating his morals and ethics will do nothing to cleanse away your sin and trying to live each moment with a what would Jesus do attitude. It's just not enough. And so if those things describe the extent of what you believe about Jesus, then according to the Bible, you're lost and you're going to end up in hell 
when you die. Believe that God has raised him from the dead. Because to believe that is to believe everything else. So I ask you, do you believe that this Easter? Or has it all become too familiar? Has it reached that point where you've heard it and heard it and ignored it and ignored it so many times you don't really hear it anymore? God forbid it all becomes familiar. In the couple minutes I have left, let me talk to you about the waiting grave. See, that's the other one. The waiting grave. Earl Hamner Jr. died this week. Who knows who Earl Hamner Jr. was? The owner knows. Earl Hamner Jr. was 92 years old. He was the voice that we all grew to love on the Waltons. And the author, actually, of the story. That little series, The Waltons, was based on stories from his life and his growing up. Died this past week, 92. In 2016, so far, quite a few well-known people have died. Well-known comedian Gary Shandling died just this past week. Ken Howard, the White Shadow, died just this past week. In 2016 so far, and I don't know if you're noticing, but we're only in March. In 2016 so far, Frank Sinatra Jr. died. Former First Lady Nancy Reagan died. Actor George Kennedy died. Author Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, died. Former U.N. Secretary General Boutros Boutros Ghali. One of my favorite names of all times. Boutros Boutros Ghali died. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died. Astronaut Edgar Mitchell died. Joe Alasky. How many know who Joe Alasky was? Joe Alasky was the voice of Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Died this past, in 2016. Actor Dan Haggerty of Grizzly Adams fame. Died. Actor Alan Rickman of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings fame. Rockers, David Bowie, Glenn Fry, all died, all died in 2016. And of course, those are just names of, uh, that we recognize because they had some level of fame. Certainly not the only ones who died so far in 2016. Did you know there's a thing called the World Death Clock? The World Death Clock. I've never heard of it before. But according to the World Death Clock, 56 million people die every year. 56 million. That's 4,679,452 per month. That's 153,424 that die per day. 6,392 per hour, 106.6 per minute, and 1.8 per second die. In the approximately 30 seconds it took me to read that list, over 50 people died. If you look around this room, I'm guessing we've got about 100 people in here today. It's half. Half of the crowd. You see, the second grave I wish to consider today is the waiting grave. We all have one. We all have one. We're not going to escape. You have one. I have one. And you will not escape. It is an appointment. Second Samuel chapter 14, we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Job chapter 30, I know that you will bring me to the death and to the house appointed for all living. Psalm 49, he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Psalm 89, what man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. All of us 
have a waiting grave. Just this past week, I visited my wife Beth's grave. Less than two years ago, it wasn't there. Less than two years ago, neither of us knew it was going to be there. But it was, waiting for her. Interestingly, that waiting grave that all of us have can also be a doorway to heaven. Not everybody will find it so, but it can be. For most, and this is the Bible's assessment, it's not mine, I'm not making it up. For most, that waiting grave will be a doorway to hell. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Which will it be for you? You see, the thing that will ensure your waiting grave is a doorway to heaven rather than hell, is belief in that empty grave. The one who opened heaven by rising from it. And so if you listen to nothing else this morning, if you were able to tune out the cantata and the music and this entire message up to this point, if you've been able to tune it all out, hear this one thing. The one thing, the only thing that will ensure your waiting grave is a doorway to heaven rather than hell is belief in the empty grave of Jesus Christ who rose again so that you might live. Every second, 1.8 souls come face to face with the waiting grave. We've been here for a little over an hour now. In that time, over 6,000 people have died. I looked it up. According to the 2000 census, the uh, population of Randolph, Ohio, is 5,504. God forbid... This all becomes familiar. How many times have you heard this truth? And how long has it been since it moved your soul? Do you feel the prompting this morning of the Holy Spirit, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, as He confirms them as true in your heart? Do you sense the conviction to respond? If so, praise God, and respond. Some today need to shrug off any remaining doubts. You need to come as we sing in just a moment and kneel right here at the front of this church and pray, asking God to forgive your sins and save your soul. Maybe you've heard 20 Easter messages and walked away without doing that. But I want to urge a different approach today. Respond. Kneel. Pray. Believe. Receive the gift. Be saved today. And forever. If you don't feel that prompting, if it has become too familiar, if your heart has become deadened to it, then I have to encourage a different response. You too need to pray. But you know what you need to pray? You need to pray hard and fast and fervently as if your life depended on it, because it does, that the Holy Spirit would renew His impassioned pleas for your soul. Don't walk out of this place this morning complacent and about the only thing that matters to you in all the universe, your soul. One day a man asked Jesus to heal his sick son. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If it has become familiar today, and if you struggle to believe today, you need to pray that. You need to pray that prayer, Lord, help my unbelief. He will answer that prayer. And then you too can respond and kneel and pray and believe and receive.
You see in this tale of two graves, the only hope that overcomes the waiting grave and the hell that awaits on the other side is belief in the empty grave of Christ and acceptance of the loving Savior who emptied it of all its power. Let us pray. Father God, we are so thankful for that empty grave. And Lord, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Lord Jesus, uh, we have no, no fear of the waiting grave, grave because it's been defeated. Lord, I pray today for everyone in this room. I thank you, Father, that they came. I thank you for their faithfulness to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. I thank you, Lord, for those who are visiting with us today. And I pray, Father, that the truth of the gospel would now work in their hearts. Lord, my feeble words and uh, uh, useless attempts really to to tell this good story, uh, you need to go beyond that. I pray the Holy Spirit would just now work. And Lord, let nobody here ignore it. Some here today, Father, need to come and kneel at this altar and, and pray and ask that you'd save their soul. Some Christians need to come and pray and say, Lord, I have folks that I'm concerned about, folks that I'm praying for, and I want them to be saved. Lord, I pray that this is not familiar to us. I pray that we can't shrug it off. I pray that we see the importance of the whole thing. So help now as we close our service with a song. Help people to respond. Whether, whether uh, right where they sit and stand or here at the front. Help us to respond, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the empty grave of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>